Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. We're glad you guys are here. A lot of faces we haven't seen for a while. Some people from such exotic locations as Pampa, Texas are here. So anyway, we are so glad to have you guys here. We are going to continue this series on hearing God this morning. There are several serious questions that we've been asking, and hopefully you're asking these and, and finding some answers in your own life. The first one is this, what is it that you are asking God for in this season, in these days? Once you think through what your conversation with God is, and, and then what is He saying to you? In some cases, some of you guys, I just predict this, some of you guys are going to be surprised at what He's going to say to you this summer. How do you know that it's God speaking? How do you know it's not yourself, your desires, or culture, or something? How do you know that it's God speaking? And the last question is, how are you responding to what God is saying? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys uh, have to travel in your job or travel for a living? Just show of hands. A lot of you guys here in the room, some of you guys are educators, some of you guys are coaches, and coaches have to travel a lot. Uh, I asked you guys several weeks ago, hey, Give me your best, hey, God spoke to me story. And hopefully, if you haven't done that, you will. If you haven't done that yet, I would love to hear from you. I want you to send it, just send me an email at info, info at theheightsfellowship.org. Info at theheightsfellowship.org. This is one of the responses that we got, and, and I think it applies uh, to a lot of us. And the, it says, in the late 90s through about 2015, I was traveling many times a year in my job in medical education is what this person says. I was concerned about my travels as it took me away from my family more than I liked. I prayed about it always and searched scripture for guidance. The first scripture God spoke to me was Colossians 3.23, that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And so that became the screensaver on my computer that I saw daily. I asked the Lord that if he was taking me away from my family to please show me his will in each one of these trips. He then spoke to me in two scriptures, Romans 1, 16 and 17, which says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The second scripture was Psalm 1914. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I sensed the Lord was speaking to me about my words and my testimony in my travels. After he spoke to me through these scriptures, I asked that he clearly show me circumstances and people with whom I could share or minister to. He was faithful, and on each trip without fail, I encountered situations and people who needed to hear a message or a testimony. Sometimes it was just one person, and sometimes it was several in one setting. And as I tried to be faithful in doing so, God provided uh, that I was given a platform of leadership in two national professional associations to which I belonged. My colleagues noticed the testimony and the commitment to faith and I had very large audiences, sometimes up to 2,000 people who heard me, often in small ways, but always acknowledged my faith. Some began to seek me out in personal conversations to talk or to hear more. After a few years and near the end of my career, I was given an international platform in a medical education organization. 
Again, the Lord showed me opportunities to share my faith. They go on to say, I'm humbled by all of this. Folks, as you understand, God is always working. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, you know, I want the presence of God himself. I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I think he echoes what a lot of us sense and feel and want in our world today. I'm tired of religion. I want the presence of God in my life, steering me, directing me, bringing fellowship to me. I want that. I star- I'm starved for that. I'm thirsty for that. Hopefully, you are too. That's what Tozer said. He said, I want all that God has or I don't want any. And to do that, we have to hear God. We have to hear from God, but we have to have a, a communication and a commune with God. All of that is based upon four realities we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And if you missed that, go back to our media player online, go to our podcast, go to our YouTube channel. You can pick those up the last three weeks that we've talked about this. But we said there are four realities that kind of bring this to bear. The first is that God is always and still working in our world. God did not stop working when the New Testament was finished. God has been and always is working. We just sang about that in the Waymaker song. I believe that you're working. You're always working. Isn't that what we sang? Well, do we actually believe that? That God is always working in our world. And part of that work is he loves us and he pursues a relationship with us. Right? And so if he's pursuing a relationship with us, that also tells us he he wants to speak about our lives. He wants to speak into our lives. He wants to talk to us about all of that. And he wants us to be a part of the work that he's doing. That's what this testimony, that's what this message uh, that I just read to you was all about. God, show me, you know, what you want me to do in this place. Such a great prayer to pray. Such a great, great question to ask God. And since he wants us to be a part of what he's doing that he's going to talk to us about that. And so how do we hear? What are we hearing? I want to point you as a kind of our foundational scripture of the morning to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 begins, the writer of Hebrews gives us a great word on this. He said, listen, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. He's talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, and we go back to, to even as far as Adam and Eve forward, God was speaking to people in a lot of ways. If you read the Old Testament, and these are just a few, he spoke by angels in Genesis 16, by visions in Genesis 15, and dreams in Genesis 28. He spoke by miracles in Exodus 33, even by animals in Numbers 22. He spoke in storms. He spoke in whisper. He spoke in signs and symbols in Jeremiah 18. A lot of ways, various ways that God spoke. So the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, and so in these last days, he's talking about the New Testament now. He's spoken to us through his son. Something amazing happened at Christmas. God was born in flesh. He was raised as a human being. He lived among us. He lived as one of us experienced everything we experienced from the good and the bad to the temptations and the victories. He experienced all of that, ultimately was crucified for us. But while he was, as you read the gospels, that is Jesus speaking to the world. God has spoken to us by his son. Here's the problem. If you read the book of Acts, Jesus ascended. Jesus is no longer physically present on the earth. So what do you do? Well, Jesus knew this. And so during 
the Gospels, during his ministry, he said this, that when I leave, when the Holy Spirit comes, he who reveals truth about God, he will lead you into all truth. You live in an unprecedented time. And I'm not talking about COVID. The, the unprecedented, the whole deal is that never before in the history of the world has God come and invaded the world and lived in people. You have something nobody in the Old Testament had. You have a greater miracle than anything that happened in the Old Testament. You have a greater miracle than anything that happened during the Gospels. Have you ever considered that privilege that God has given you? That if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8 verse 9, comes and takes up residence in your life. He dwells there and he will not go away until God brings you home. That's unprecedented. And he, when he comes, will reveal truth about God. He will lead you, Jesus said, into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority. He'll speak what he hears, and he will tell you of things to come. What Jesus is saying, that all three persons of the Trinity speak. God the Father spoke in the Old Testament. God the Son spoke during the Gospels. God the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us ever since. And the message is always consistent. And here's the deal about hearing God. That when God spoke in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, first of all, the people knew it was God speaking. There was no question that it was God speaking. When God spoke out of the burning bush to Moses, Moses knew it was the Lord speaking to him. Not only that, the people understood what God said. They didn't always agree with it or like it, but they knew what God said. And then they also knew that they had encountered God, and that's an important point. There's a key truth here, and that's this, that God speaking to you doesn't lead you to a God encounter. That is the God encounter. When God spoke to Moses, that didn't lead him to an encounter with God in Egypt. He was having an encounter with God right there. Listen, when God speaks to you in the scripture, when God responds to your prayer, when God speaks to you through circumstances, God affirms stuff through the church. When God does that, you are having a God encounter. Don't mistake that. Our job then is to adjust to what God is telling us. And so last time we said, we reminded ourselves that God speaks in this time through the Holy Spirit in four ways, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances in the church. Those are the four ways that God speaks. And our main part in learning to hear his voice is learning to recognize the Holy Spirit in those things. And so as we're seeking to hear God in these days, let me ask you a question. How are you hearing God? What's, what's, your, what's your hearing telling you in regard to what God is saying to you? And so last time we said this, since God speaks, it's a given that God speaks, then number one, we need to recognize his speaking and his voice by his approach to us. And we said there were three things about the approach of God that we need to pay heed to. First of all, God doesn't storm the Bastille. He doesn't storm the gates. He enters through the gate. He enters through the door. Jesus said, I'm the shepherd. The shepherd enters through the door. People that storm the Bastille, people that storm the gate, those aren't shepherds. I enter through the door. Secondly, he says that he draws us rather than drives us. Now listen, I, we grew up in cattle country. We have a ranch up in the northeast panhandle, out in the middle of nowhere. It's beautiful. 
And we used to do roundups and, and branding and that whole deal, and we would drive the cattle. You know what you do when you drive something? You get around behind them, you kind of encircle them, and then you push them somewhere. That's not the way the Lord leads us. It says that he draws us. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know what that means? That means that he goes before you and he draws you to him. So God in his approach to us will always lead us. He doesn't drive us. That's a hallmark of the enemy. And then lastly, he's very personal and not general. He deals with us specifically as us. Sometimes the principles are general, but they have an application. Use that principle here in our lives. And so recognize the approach of God, which brings us now to this week. The second thing that since God speaks or if God speaks is this, that we recognize his voice by recognizing what he talks about. And so let me ask you a question. What would you expect in 2022 God to speak about to you? What do you expect? Let me give you some suggestions. And if you're following along online on the notes, you know what these are. But the number one thing is, is he will talk to us about himself. You say, that's kind of selfish. No, it's not. He's talking to us about his presence in our life. Peter Lord has a great statement about this. He says, you know, here's the deal. Civilized man is generally afraid of God. And that just tells me we are so guilty and we have such an awareness of that that we fear God. Civilized man is generally afraid of God, and this fear results in a wrong kind of relationship. Here's the sad thing. In this room and online, some of you guys are living in this fear of God. You have conducted yourself for years in this fear of God. I'm not talking about a holy, healthy reverence for God. You're afraid God's going to come get you. God's going to come and have to bring his holy two before and whack you upside the head. It's a wrong kind of relationship. God, by revealing himself, Peter says, seeks to eliminate that fear. That's why he talks to us about himself. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know the kind of God that I am. And there are a lot of things that you can say, okay, these are the qualities of God. And, and it's not, well, these are what God is to me. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in what God is to you. I'm interested in what God is. And the thing that God most wants us to understand about himself is his fatherhood. God wants to reveal himself to you as father. Why? Well, several reasons. First of all, that denotes a relationship. He's not just a boss. He's not just some, some holy tyrant up there. He wants a relationship. And so he comes to us and presents himself to us in terms of a father. And that's hard for some of us in this world, isn't it? In this culture, we have done it. And dads, we got Father's Day coming up in a couple of weeks. You need to be saving your money so you can take your family out to eat as they honor you. All right? You know how that works. We have done such a horrible job of presenting a true picture of a father to our culture that so many in our culture don't know what that is. God wants to clear that picture. And so he presents himself to us in a relationship as a heavenly spiritual father. By the way, do you know that's the most common title used of God in the Bible? Did you know that 267 times in the New Testament alone... God is referenced 
as father. Most of those come from the lips of Jesus. But he's referenced as father. That's how, by the way, Jesus instructed us to address him. You say, really? Our father who art in heaven. Those are the words Jesus wants us as we talk to God. And then there's this one in John chapter 1. I love this statement. I love, love, love this verse. If you're memorizing verses to help lead people to Christ and share the relationship with Christ with them, memorize these two verses. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. John has said not everybody wanted him. Not everybody responded to Jesus. Yet... All who did receive him, to them, or those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. That means there's a child and there's a father. Children who were not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will. You know what that's saying? You don't get to heaven because you got a Christian family. You don't get to heaven because of your pedigree. You don't get to heaven because you've got some sort of of descent or background that's going to lead you to heaven. You get to heaven because you chose to receive Christ. Had an incredible conversation with a real interesting dude last week. He drives race cars. He is Swedish, but he has Lebanese descent. So he doesn't look like he's Swedish. We got out on the streets of Houston, and we got to drive fast. Really, it was scary. All right, but it was really cool. And so I'm asking this dude, hey, how did, with Lebanese and Sweden, how did you become a believer? What's your story? He told me a story. He said, listen, I had a family who were believers. And that's really cool. He said, but there came a time and a place that I had to choose Christ. That's like, how beautiful is that? Not everyone received him, but those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. God gave you the right to call him Daddy, Abba, Father. They were born of God. How about you this morning? Have you been born of God? You're obviously physically born, but have you been spiritually born of the Lord? Please don't count on a family or a pedigree or some sort of background or heritage to get you into heaven. Some point in your life, you've got to choose God. He wants to present us as Father. He wants to present to us as Father. So he talks to us about himself. The second thing he does, he talks to us about his word. In other words, how does Scripture fit into our life? Not how do you mold it and shape it to fit our personal theology, but how do we take Scripture and apply it to our life and then mold and shape our lives around that. In John chapter 5, Jesus is having an interesting conversation with some people who should know this. These are spiritual leaders, and they're disbelieving him, and he says to them, listen, you don't have his word, there it is, abiding in you, for you don't believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Don't you get it? The scriptures point to me. They bear witness of me from Adam to date, from Genesis to the end. It all points to me, and you miss it. So he's going to talk to us about his word. That's important to understand. And you say, well, I know plenty of, plenty of atheists who've read the Bible. Well, I do too. 
I know plenty of agnostics who have read the Bible. I know plenty of people in other religions who have read the Bible. And they don't believe. You know why? So what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept things that come from the Spirit of God. But considers them foolishness. Listen, you may say, listen, there is no room for logic in Christianity. There's no room for reason in Christianity. It's a blind faith. All of those are false accusations made against the faith. Notice that God says, never says that there's anything wrong with logic or reason. God says there's nothing wrong with, with education and knowledge. But he says this, the person without the Spirit can't understand the things of God fully because they are discerned only by the Spirit. Now stop right there. Here's what the Lord is saying to us. The Lord is saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with wisdom and knowledge and logic and reason and any of those things. But those things have to be filtered by the Spirit through the Word. He's not saying don't have those things. You, those of you guys who are getting education in philosophies and, and psychologies and theology and all that, great. But filter them through the Word. Only the Spirit of God can help us understand the full meaning of the words of the Scripture. And so if you're trying to read the Bible and you're not a believer, you're going to have a hard time getting it. You're going to understand parts of it. You're going to be able to read the words and comprehend them, but the meaning won't land on you the way God intends. So here's how that works. Here, here's what Jesus speaks to us about his word. Here's the point of the whole thing. You read your Bible, and that, that implies that you must open it up and put eyes on it and run your eyes across it and read it. You read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit then takes it, and he begins to reveal truth or application to you from that. You then adjust your life to what he's pointed out to you. Sometimes he does that a lot at once, and sometimes he, he just say, hey, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. I'm building something here. I'm telling the story, and you've got to get all of this. Then I'll tell you why. You adjust your life to the truth. You obey God, and he works in you and through you. That's why he talks to you about his word. When the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and interprets it to the child of God, God's stuff happens. That is the God encounter. There's two texts you need to understand here. Two texts that we need to be aware of in this. The first is what I call proof texting. Listen, Christian, be very careful when you see proof texting, when you do it or when you see other people do it, proof texting basically says, I'm going to come up with a concept, an idea or whatever, then I'm going to find a scripture to wrap it in and pitch it to you. That's proof texting. By the way, that is one of the chief ploys of the enemy. At the temptations of Jesus, Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple. You remember the story? And the devil says, if you're the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, here's the proof text. Here's the proof. He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with your hand so that not even your foot will strike a stone. And Jesus rejected that proof texting. God, on the other hand, uses contexting. Contexting basically 
uses like this scripture and that scripture and that scripture. Let me just give you some insight in the way that we teach here at the Heights. We typically don't just give you a scripture. Have you noticed that? A lot of times you get weary from writing down the amount of scripture that we give you. I don't apologize for that. The reason I don't is because you need to understand that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a unit, and there is context within that. You need to understand what was said, when it was said, where it was said, why it was said, but then you also need to understand that those principles translate to your lives in the here and now. God uses that kind of context to begin to elaborate His Word to you so that you can take it and apply it and make something out of it. And without that, without that you're just being religious. Let's be honest. And so be aware of those two types of texts. So God will talk about himself. He will talk about his word. And then he'll talk about his way. He'll talk about how he wants to guide us. In Psalm 32, 8, the Lord spoke this to his people Israel, but it applies to us. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Think about that for just a minute. That God counsels us with his eye upon us. Some of you guys heard that and you may have went, oh man, that's scary. That means God is watching everything I do because if I do the wrong thing, he's going to thump me on the ear. Man, I remember one time in church, we were sitting, we, we went to big church in Amarillo, grew up in big church in Amarillo. We sat in the balcony at our church on Sunday mornings, 8, 8.30 service in the balcony. Well, I'm a teenager and you're kind of sleepy in the mornings, on Sunday mornings sometimes. Like some of you guys are going, experiencing it now, Pastor. Get you. Okay. So we're sitting there. My cousin, who's really, my cousin was, a, was like a, a, uh, recruited in college as an offensive lineman. Balin, he's kind of about your size, all right? Great old big guy, cool guy named Richard. Richard didn't get to go to church very much when he was a kid. Richard is with us. I hope you're watching. I so hope you're watching. Anyway, Richard is with us. And, and it's, it's dad and it's mom and it's Leslie, my sister, and it's Richard. And then I'm the bookend on the other side. And we're sitting there and dad expected a certain kind of behavior in church. Richard doesn't have much of a church background. Nothing wrong with that. But Richard, in the middle of service, while Dr. Moore is preaching, decides he needs to yawn. And it's not a normal yawn. It's the stretchy yawn. My dad comes across three bodies and thumps him so hard in the head, it felt like you were hitting a pumpkin with your fist. And Richard goes from, like that. Everybody in the church turns and looks. My dad's just sitting there like nothing ever happened, and Richard's got all these eyes on him. A lot of times, we feel like this the way God is with us, that he's waiting for us to do the stretchy yawn so he can thump us, he can thack us on the head, right? That's not what this verse means. God's got his eye on you because he's watching your progress. He's watching your path so he can help direct you around it, through it, in it. And and part of all of that, that's what this verse is saying. That when you go through that trial, God's got his eye on you. He's watching you. He didn't forget you. He didn't turn and look the other way and say, I'm done with Mike. God's got his eye on you. And he will instruct you and teach you. And it'll be sometimes intensely personal. God wants to speak to us about the way he wants to guide us. And so James, the the half-brother of the Lord, writes this about the Lord's instruction. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now stop right there. You know why? Because the Lord's eye is on you. He's watching that. He's, he's walking along with you in this. He's guiding you because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. He's going to teach you to last. He's going to teach you to stay and to stand in the midst of a difficult situation. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. You know what complete means? It means equipped. It means you have everything you need. We'd use these terms so that you're tricked out, man. You've got everything you can think of. I watched a video yesterday of some people that are making, some of you old people with me, do you remember conversion vans from the 70s? Cool, weren't they? I mean, you have wall-to-wall, ceiling-to-floor shag carpet, man. It was awesome. Well, they have a new version of that, and it's one of the coolest things I've ever, it's almost a self-contained house in the van-sized space. It's so cool to watch. It was tricked out and equipped. It had solar panels. It had hot water heaters. You're like, you put that in a van? Yeah. It was cool, man. God is saying, listen, I'll take you through the conversion process. We could get to the end. You'll not only be able to last, you will be fully equipped. You'll be complete and mature. That's where you're going. And that applies. If you're a believer, you're in that process, whether you want to be in it or not. So we hear the Lord. We let him guide us about his way. The first thing God is going to try to adjust and affect with us is going to be our character. Because naturally, none of us have a godly character. Some of us are nice guys or nice gals, but we don't have a godly character. God is working that in us. He will adjust our character. He'll begin to speak to us about the way you perceive things, about the way you respond to things, about how you view your world. And he's going to focus on the innies rather than the outies. You're going, what? God's interested in belly buttons. I'm not talking about your belly button. I'm talking about what's inside of you, how it's expressed outwardly. He focuses first. He knows if I can get the inside right, the outside will respond. And many times God guides us with yes and no's. And it's not like he's playing 20 questions with us, but he's leading us in this path. And we're asking him, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And he'll say yes or he'll say no. Let me give you an example of that. Over in the book of Acts, the church is growing. The church is expanding. The church has gone from Jerusalem to Samaria. And as as the book of Acts promised, the next step in the outline is to the uttermost parts of the world. They've gone into what we know as Turkey, what they called Asia, or what we now call Asia Minor. And the church is is there, and it's growing, and it's expanding. Paul's gone on one trip. He comes home. He he re-equips. He re-outfits. He gets a new crew, and out he goes. And they go revisit some of the places that they've been, and they're trying to get to to further places and further outposts in the world, right? And so Paul and Silas have traveled to the area of Phrygia and Galatia, that center part of Turkey. If you, when you see the map, I'm going to show you here in a minute. Because the Holy Spirit had told them not to go in the province of Asia. Asia was the far west end of Turkey. And so they headed north to the province of Bithynia. God's telling us not to go to Asia. He must want us to go to Bithynia. And they get up there in the north part, and God says, nope, that's not where I'm taking you either. And so they're kind of at this point of, okay, God, we just came from the south and the east. We've been in the center. You told us not to go west. Now you're telling us not to go north. God, we kind of don't know what to do. Help us out here. 
And, and it says that they just kind of go along till they come to the town of Troas. Now let me show you a graphic representation. There's Turkey, the main part of that map. Okay, the far left is Greece, right? But you can see, you can see Turkey there. The, the arrow kind of shows their path, all right? They end up in Troas, which is on the far west coast. In terms of the United States, they're in Seattle. And they've got nowhere to go. And don't you know Paul's companions are looking at him going, hey, dude, I thought you had a GPS with God. I really thought you were hearing his voice. How come we're stuck here? We don't know where we're going. And you got to think Paul's going, Lord, I, I thought I was being faithful. Lord, I thought I was listening to you. Does any of this sound familiar to you in 2022? And I find myself just kind of backed up against the ocean. You won't let me go north. You, I've already come from the south and the east. You won't let me go west. What am I supposed to do? Look what happens next. God tells them, I'm taking you somewhere else. That night, Paul had a vision. And he saw a man from Macedonia. You know where Macedonia is? That's Greece. Let me put it in terms of continents. It's another continent. He goes from Asia to Europe. God comes, to, this man comes to him in a vision, pleading with him, come over here and help us. Now pay attention to the language. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. Notice how willing and quickly they were willing to pivot and go. Christian, hear that in your life. You may think you're on this path. You may even think you're on a career path. And all of a sudden, God says, you got to pivot and go here. What I'm doing is bigger than your career. My work is, is global and it's universal and it's timeless. And I'm taking you here. And so listen to what. So we could only conclude. Listen to the way the Lord has led them. No to Bithynia. No to Asia. By the way, Asia, the seven churches of the Revelation that John writes to, they're all in Asia. Philadelphia and Smyrna and Pergamum and all those churches, they're in Asia. God will eventually get there. By the end of the first century, God is there and he's writing to those churches. But he takes Paul right by them and he sends him to Europe. He puts Christianity on a completely new continent. And so we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news there. You see how God is leading them with, nope, nope, yes, that's where I want you to go. So he talks about himself, his word, his way. Fourth thing, he'll talk to us about our sin. Why? Because we're so infested with sin. A lot of times I think we discount how sinful we are and what the damage of that sin literally is. Here's what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, remember, we're learning to respond to the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they don't believe in me. He takes our sin problem and he begins to work on it. He works on it intensely, personally with each one of us. You know what he's working on with you in regard to your life and sin, don't you? We may not want to admit it, but we know God is working with us on Our job is to hear him and to cooperate with him. Hebrews 12.8 says this, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, that means you're illegitimate children. You're not really his child because the Holy Spirit is working on our sin problem. Whatever yours is, whatever mine is, he works with you on that directly and personally, day to day 
in that. Now, here's something to understand about how God works on our sin. God is never passive-aggressive about our sin. God doesn't play those kind of mind games with us. He's very direct in dealing with our sin. You'll read a scripture. You'll see something in that scripture. Maybe it's a command or maybe it's something in the life of somebody. And something inside of you tells you, you got an issue with that. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're having a God encounter right now. And God is saying, deal with this. Here's why. Because first of all, your sin hurts you and others. You understand that? It's never just personal. Listen, this is my business and not yours. Sorry. It affects all of us. My heart broke a couple of weeks ago as the news began to come out that, that the, the leadership of a certain mainline Christian denomination in the United States has a major sin problem in its leadership. Now, here's what you may or may not know. The greatest worldwide vehicle for evangelism that the world has ever known exists within that mainline denomination. And because of what's happened, and you've heard about it on the news, that is directly affected. You think the enemy isn't loving that? Your sin doesn't just hurt you. Your sin hurts others. It affects the church. A second thing about our sin is our sin is discordant with God's nature. God is trying to make within us the nature and the character of Christ. And that's why he works on our character and that's why he deals with our sin directly. And the third thing is that sin is anti-relational. Sin hurts the relationship that you have with God and it hurts your relationship with other people. So the Holy Spirit is very quick and direct to deal with your sin. Now what we have to do is learn how to distinguish between conviction of God and the condemnation of the enemy. Let me give you a picture of condemnation. And I want you to know, excuse me, notice where it comes from. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Do you know what Jesus said? This is John 3.18, two verses after John 3.16. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? If you're condemned, God isn't condemning you. You look on your condemnation certificate and that's your signature. You're condemning yourself because you don't believe what God has already provided. Don't try to blame that on God. And if you're feeling that condemnation, it's one of two things. It's either the Holy Spirit bringing you to a place where you respond to Christ. With some of you, that's what's happening right now. Or it's the enemy trying to guilt you and keep you away from God. Here's the thing about condemnation. It's usually expressed in general terms. You just have this general sense of being condemned. You may not be able to specify why you feel condemned. You can't identify maybe even a specific sin. And so you have to guess, well, maybe it's that I've done this. The only caveat to that is if you haven't taken care of some past sin issue that the Lord has already showed you, then you're going to continue to feel. Listen, if you're a believer and there is, sin, there is sin dwelling in your life, you are toying and playing with a specific sin, you are going to be miserable. Some of you are miserable today because of that. Because you, you've let what God has already showed you, you refuse to deal with it. Maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's anger, maybe, whatever it is, but you will be miserable. The most miserable people in the world are not unbelievers. They're believers who are living disobediently. And, and so the enemy will try to make you feel condemned very generally, and you'll have to guess, and he'll give you no real resolution. 
And people began to deal with substances. They began to deal with dangerous behavior. Sometimes they even take their lives. Now, what's the difference between that and conviction? Conviction, first of all, comes from the Lord, and usually it'll be very specific. The Lord will point out, deal with that. This is what you've done. This is where you're falling short. This is a constant, persistent problem with you. You have a besetting sin. We all do. Secondly, it'll be recognizable. It'll be something you go, yeah, yeah, I know where that came from. Usually it comes from your immediate past. Thirdly, he will give you some instruction on what to do, how to deal with the sin problem. And it will focus around three activities. First of all, confess it. When we confess something, we're not revealing to God. You know that, right? We're agreeing with God. God already knows you've sinned. That's why he pointed it out to you. So you don't have to say, okay, God, I got to tell you this. God goes, you already know. God wants us to confess it and agree with him that it's sin. Secondly, he wants us to own it. That simply means this. Quit trying to blame somebody else. Don't blame your peer group. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your culture. Don't blame the devil didn't make you do it. Don't blame somebody. You own your sin. Nobody made you sin. You sinned on your own. So own it. And then turn from it or repent of it. That's a military command, which means making about face. And here's the point. When you do that, Godly conviction will relieve your soul pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation. It leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, man, that's like dying while you're living. It brings only death. Okay, we're going to stop right there. We have a couple more things. We're going to, this is a two-part message. Any good golfer will tell you, listen, sometimes you just got to lay up and take another swing. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to finish the last part of this message next week. Hopefully, you'll be here for that. But as we come to the end today, let me just ask you this. Maybe you want to hear from God today. So let me just kind of point you a couple of directions. First, maybe you need to be seeking the fatherhood of God. In other words, believe what he said about you. You're a sinner, you need a savior. You're an orphan, you need a daddy. Believe the one he sent for you. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Yield your will, give your life is what we say to him. Maybe that's the order of the day for you. Secondly, maybe you need to, to, to invest some time in his word. Man, I want to hear from God, but... You just kind of steadfastly refuse or get too busy. You don't invest yourself in his word. Why don't you start that this week? We have a whole reading plan online that you can do as little or as much as you want to. You read the Bible a whole year if you want to. Thirdly, maybe you need to respond affirmatively to the way that he's directing you. Sometimes, some of you guys, that's going to be hard. That's going to mean that, that you give up an amount of, of maybe financial or physical security. Maybe that means that you've got to move. Maybe that means you've got to change your relationship. Who knows what that is? But you respond affirmatively to his way. And the last thing is, maybe you need to go to him and deal with that sin that as I spoke, the Holy Spirit reminded you one more time, that's what I'm talking about. You need to confess it. You need to own it. You need to turn from it. 
Let me pray over you right now and we'll be done, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you desire a relationship with us. You speak to us about that. Father, you share who you are. You share your way. You share your word. You share about our sin. Father, we want to hear from you in these days. So, Father, I pray that this summer will not just be a summer of of rest and recreation for us as individuals or as family. Father, even though kind of school's taken a hiatus for a little bit, Father, this will be a day that we reconnect with you. This will be a season this summer that we reconnect with you in a big way. Father, I look forward to hearing the testimonies about that. So thank you for your love. Father, for those who have never trusted you, I pray this would be the day. Father, we've given very clear instructions. Come to Christ. Believe that Christ died for you. That and that alone saves you. Turn from your sin and yield your life to Jesus. Father, for some of us, there's sin issues that we need to be dealing with. Father, for some of us, we need to be saying yes to your way and we need to be invested in your word. Lord, direct us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.